Um, so just this week, I, I received an email. It was probably like one of those uh, Amazon um, advertisements or emails or whatever it is that they, they send out. And it had this product in it called Sauce Moto. Has anybody heard of this? It's basically like the end of our civilized world as we know it. Uh, it's, a, it's a little cup with a clip that you attach to the air vents in your car so that you can have dipping sauces <laughs> while eating in the car. And, and I, I, I saw this and I, again, based on a lot of the conversations we've been having recently about paying attention and sort of the speed of life around us, I thought that this was so hilariously ridiculous that I immediately told my wife so that she could join me in this sort of self-righteous critique of our culture, right? And, and, and now I'm sort of asking you all to do the same thing. But she immediately responded, oh, we need to get some of those. <laughs> and I was like, but this is part of the problem with us not being able to pay attention to God or to anybody else. Like, we're just, we're moving so fast. You know, we're, we're eating on the run, uh, and we don't see each other. Uh, we, we don't even know what things in life are life-giving and what things are taking life out of us. So there I was thinking about this, and I was, I was writing a sermon about paying attention um, and, and at the same time secretly judging my wife for her, 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 her response to Sauce Moto. And, and while I was doing this, I realized that I was right in the middle of eating my lunch, alone in my office, at my desk, while working. I mean, I might as well have had like a cup of dipping sauce attached to my computer, right? So, I mean, we've been talking about paying attention, and the idea of paying attention is nice. It's a great idea, but paying attention as an intentional act, well, not so easy. So, so in this epiphany season, we've been looking at, at simple practices, hopefully, that can maybe help us a little bit. Uh, we, we began with looking at communion or the, the general idea of eating together of seeing one another um, as we eat, reflecting on our own daily experiences of, of life as, as the things that are life-giving and the things that are not, the highs and the lows, if you will, in the, in the practice called the examine. And then last week, we looked at reading as a way of slowing down and, and being more reflective and paying attention to what, what there is to, to hear and to learn. So today, uh, we're going to consider one of the most ancient practices of rest or, or of Sabbath. Perhaps you've heard of it. So let's listen um, as we read from Exodus chapter 16. And I'm going to be skipping around a bit to try to condense the story for us. So starting in verse 11, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, uh, everyone is in the wilderness at this point. I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. So say to them, at twilight, you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall have your fill of bread, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. I will feed you, and you will know that I am God. In the evening quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp that was this sort of bread-like substance. Uh, this is what the Lord then commanded in verse 16. Gather as much of it as each of you needs, according to the number of, of people, all providing for those in your own tents, so presumably your family. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some gathering less, but when they measured it, those who gathered much had nothing over, and those who gathered little had no shortage. 
They gathered as much as each of them needed. And then verse 22, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning as Moses commanded them and, and it didn't go bad. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find any of this food in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. Makes sense, right? Next verse. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather. <laughs> Sounds very us, right? But they found nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, so I'm picturing the people riding out on whatever animals they, they might have had out there in the wilderness with like a little cup of hot mustard sauce attached to the saddle, like looking for whatever it is that they were, they were trying to find. But there was nothing to find. There was nothing to collect except for the feeling of trying to be productive. Maybe that's what they were looking for. Now, my guess is that if you've been around a church or a religious community of almost any kind long enough, that the term Sabbath carries with it perhaps some level of guilt or stress. Is, is that true? And if that's the case, it's probably because we have some concept in our mind of what we're supposed to do or what we're, we're not supposed to do, um, and, and we're, we're not doing it right to, to, to some extent. Am I close? I mean, maybe not. If not, that's great. Because this ancient practice of Sabbath is rooted not in guilt, but in life-giving creativity and liberation. These people in the wilderness are newly liberated people, set free just recently from slavery in Egypt, set free from working day after day after day without end for hundreds of years rescued from working to meet expectations that they could never actually reach. So the people here, six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day, there is no gathering. There is no producing. There is no more endless labor. I mean, can you hear it? Like how much good news that is for a people who have just been crushed by slavery? You are no longer slaves. Sabbath is a profound abolitionist symbol or sign. You are free. In this new community, your identity is not grounded in what you can produce. In this new family, there is no oppressive master forcing you to constantly work. And that includes God, and that includes this commandment to keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not this oppressive master that we need to follow. And so black poet, artist, and theologian, and founder of something called the Knapp Ministry, uh, Tricia Hersey says that our bodies are sites of liberation, that, that we don't need all kinds of other things, that within our own bodies we can experience freedom and liberation. 
And so she says that instead, if living in this, um, that this is sort of in, in contrast to the culture that we live in, that she calls a grind culture. Have you ever heard of this? A grind culture where our bodies, especially the bodies of people of color, are, are treated as machines of production and of profit. So she says that rest is an act of resistance. That rest is an act of resistance that pushes back against uh, abusive capitalism and white supremacy. I mean, let's just sit with that for, for a little bit. Rest is an act of resistance. So if the concept of, of Sabbath produces guilt within us or, or feels like an oppressive rule that we need to follow, we are free. We're free. And I know that the Sabbath commandment is like one of the Ten Commandments, so, right? Like one of, the, one, of the, one of the big ones. But just for a moment, because we are free, let's get rid of the whole thing. Let's just throw the whole thing out. And so now we only have nine commandments. We still can't murder people. We still can't steal and, and do all the other things. But we're wiping the slate clean, at least just for a moment, so we can start over, so that we can create something new. So that whatever our experience of Sabbath might be, it can be liberating. It can be a practice of rest that is life-giving, that is creative, that sets us free. And so as a part of starting over, I want to address just, just briefly a misunderstanding that, that we Christians often have about Judaism. And that maybe our wider culture has about Judaism. That, that this false comparison that Judaism is a religion of rules while Christianity is a religion of grace. Have you heard that before or, or, or considered that? I mean, I, I confess that I've often thought of Christianity and Judaism in that way. And, and many times the practices of Sabbath, the many practices of Sabbath are pointed to as, as, as examples of rules that, 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 um, that Jews need to follow. But again, the concept of, of Sabbath, which is rooted in Judaism, which is rooted in the Jewish faith, is a gift of grace. Like, it's not just a rule. It's a gift of grace in and of itself. Now, of course, all religions can take grace and turn it into legalism. But Christians are just as good as that at anybody else, right? I mean, for real. Like, we're just as good at that as anybody else. So what happens in Judaism is that for thousands of years, thousands of years, they've cared enough about the concept of rest and about Sabbath to have a conversation about what it looks like in really practical ways, even in detailed ways, in different times, in different cultures, in different circumstances, and in different ways, which means that they have a lot of ideas. They have a lot of, of, of discussion and, and, and things for us to consider. But, but listening to a conversation with people who are trying to figure something out and how, how it works out for them in their particular lives doesn't mean that the Sabbath commandment requires that we follow all of those ideas, right? Have you ever been a part of a conversation where you're trying to figure something out? You've joined into something and, so, and someone's like, well, this works for me. And another person is like, that, that doesn't work for me at all, but this does. This is sort of the conversation we're joining into. We will hear a lot of really good things. We will hear things that don't work for us. And we'll hear, hear a lot of things that could work for us. 
But, but even within this conversation, all of the good things, doing all of the good things isn't really the point either. This just turns the Sabbath into another means of production. Like how many good acts of Sabbath and practice could I produce in one particular day? So Jews and Christians and even Muslims alike who practice a form of Sabbath are often doing it in ways of, of seeking freedom and liberation and healing in, in many ways. So, so we've, we, we've wiped the slate clean. We, we've maybe taken out the idea of, of this having to be on Sunday or, or even an entire day. Um, I mean, Christians don't even agree on, on what day the Sabbath is supposed to be if you're going to pick a day. I mean, I take off Monday. So um, today is, is, is sort of a, a day at work for me. So on Monday, I, I don't read the Bible. And when I go on vacation, if we're visiting family or friends and they ask me to pray before a meal, I, I, I jokingly but sort of not jokingly say, sorry, I'm on vacation. <laughs> so... So we're taking everything off the table. Now what? Now what do we do with this idea of rest? Uh, again, this is like a huge overview, and, and maybe one day we'll come back and look at all of this in, in more detail. But, but Sabbath is also grounded in creativity or acts of creation. It's not just about absence. It's not just about what we're not supposed to do. But it's a day to enjoy the goodness of creation. So Moses tells the people, instead of hustling and grinding and producing, eat. Eat today what you have. Take the sauce cup out of the car and put it in the middle of the table and gather around it and eat and celebrate and look at one another and pay attention. Slow down. And the creation poem at the beginning of Genesis that imagines God creating the universe and all living things in six days. And then on the seventh day, that God even has to rest. God rests on the seventh day in this creation story. But wait, wait, is God tired? Like, is God worn out and exhausted by, by everything that happened in these six days of creation? And this is what is interesting, and this is why, again, we, we need to, to spend more time with our our, our Jewish friends, uh, because they can help us figure this stuff out. But the, the six days of creation reflected in this, in this uh, story at the beginning of Gen- in the beginning of Genesis reflects this, this ancient religious sort of ceremony of temple dedication. So in the ancient world, in the ancient Middle East, um, a community would build a temple um, for a particular god. And then when the temple was ready, they would have an opening ceremony that would last for six days. Six days of honoring or adding religious significance to the work of construction, to everything that has happened before then. It's then on the seventh day that they celebrate that this particular God is now coming to inhabit this temple. Now this God is in this temple and we can go and worship this God. So what is this story telling us in Genesis that that the universe is God's temple, that the world is God's temple, that God can't be contained to one particular place, but that everywhere we go, that is where God lives. God's temple is our world. 
And so God on the seventh day, instead of taking a nap, is simply coming to enjoy his creation. God is coming to enjoy what she has made as good and beautiful. And, and I don't know about you, but if you've ever moved into a new home uh, or a new apartment or something like that, at least for my family, whenever this has happened, the very first act of walking into our new home or our, our new apartment has not been like, let's go to sleep, right? I mean, that might come later in the day. Um, even if we've sort of flown halfway around the world and stayed up all night and we're totally exhausted, the first act of coming into our house is not, let's go to sleep. Our first act, especially for our kids, is to run around bursting with energy and excitement, exploring our new home, our new world, right? Mom, Dad, look, here's a couch. Here's, here's the living room. Here's a bed. Here's, Dad, look at this. It's a toilet, right? Like, like there's so much energy and excitement. I want this room. This is going to be my bedroom. Whatever it is, there's, there's energy and excitement in exploring this place that we're now going to live in, right? So the Sabbath is a day to savor and to enjoy our bodies, our world, and all that is good. So, what does that look like for you? And this is where it goes back to these practices of paying attention. What are the things that give us joy? What are the things that refresh us? Not necessarily what are the things that refresh and give joy to everybody else, but what really refreshes us? Let's put those things back on the table if we're going to think about Sabbath. What practices of self-care do you already have that you know work, that you know are refreshing and life-giving for you? You can put those things into your concept, into our concept of Sabbath. Sabbath is a day of liberation and life-giving creation to do things that we enjoy and that refresh us. And so the Gospel of John, echoing the the story of creation in Genesis 1 tells us that, that Jesus is full of grace and truth. And so this idea of fullness is like a cup that is filled to the very top. You know, a, a cup where it's like if you add one more drop of liquid into the cup, it's just all going to pour out. There's sort of like a dome at the very top. So this is that image that we have that Jesus is filled to the top with grace and truth. And then it says that in Jesus we have all received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. I mean it doesn't say it that that often, but this is sort of the idea, right? Like grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. We've all received grace upon grace upon grace, out of the fullness of Christ. This, in the Gospel of John, is our image of Sabbath, that in Jesus Christ we're not sort of struggling to, to muster up enough energy to live, but we're filled to the very top by the grace of Christ. An endless amount of goodness and mercy for us and for our world. So as we consider rest, as we consider Sabbath, 
out of Christ's fullness, may we be full. And may the people around us experience the fullness of grace in our lives so that we might also pour out grace upon grace upon grace into the world. Amen.